thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to the Wellness Guys Show with wellness experts Dr. Lawrence Tam, Dr. Damian Kristoff, and Dr. Brett Hill. Welcome to the Wellness Guys. I'm Lawrence Tam. I'm Damien Christoph. And I'm Brett Hill. And this is the Wellness Guy Show, a weekly show dedicated to bringing wellness into our lives. And today we have a very special guest. She's been on the show before, but last time she was on, we had like six people on the show all together, which was kind of crazy if you remember that with the Health Talk talk Girls. Man, that was crazy. Having six Skype and uh, six people (laughs) trying to talk over each other was pretty tough. But today... Um, we have Nat Kringul. Kring- I see. I told you. I knew we were gonna stuff it up. We talked about this. Uh, oh man, Kringulis, Kringulis. There you go. I knew I was gonna stuff it up just for the laughters. It's. Uh, I've definitely stuffed it up. Sorry, Nat. I really apologize for that. <laughs> Nat, uh, she she's a doctor of Chinese medicine, acupuncturist, natural fertility educator, author, and speaker. She has uh, written two books, um, an ebook called Fertilize Yourself, and also co-wrote Eat fat be thin welcome back to the show nat thank you guys for having me back nat it's awesome to have you back there's so many uh natural fertility specialists in and around town and most people preach the same message but what i love about your message is that it's it's a little bit different it's a little bit quirky it's a bit on the edge it's a little bit risque and you go out on a limb and you say a few things like you talk about shattering the myth of ovulation, which I really like, and we'll get into that in a moment. And you also recognize that it's too late if you're, if you're finding – it's not too late, but you know it's a long way down the track if you're struggling with fertility to jump on and try and get fertile after you've created infertility. And so you're saying now you've got to be younger to get it going, and that's what I love. It's a message about keeping girls and men happy and healthy um, at a younger stage in their life. So it's great to have you here, Nat. Thank you. And it is. That's totally what it's all about. We have to start to reach out to younger women because it's so much easier to, to treat younger women than what it is older women. Now, how early are we talking about getting girls fertile? You know, it seems that all they've got to do is just jump into bed and bang, there's a baby. That's what this misperception is. Um, is, is that the, the case these days? Well, I think the key is that when we recognise an issue, we actually need to fix it at the time. So, you know, I think the biggest problem nowadays is that any gynaecological disorder, you generally prescribe the pill for at a young age because that's really all modern medicine has to offer. There's, we've gone so far past simple and we, we use something like the pill, which I call a big Band-Aid. Um, we need to come back and go, okay, what well, I've been diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome, let's just say, at 14. Well, we have to fix it. You know, it's not, it's not a solution to just be given medication or, prescri- or something like the pill, which is actually not fixing it. So, you know, yeah. any of these reproductive issues we're seeing, endometriosis, um, polycystic ovarian syndrome, they're all you know, fixable things and they're all just symptoms of a bigger problem and that's what we're failing to recognise. So, yeah, that's sort of what's led me to to trying to teach these young women about solutions but not only that, also how to understand what their body's communicating to them. And now it's probably fair to say, I think, that we, we now just consider it normal. Like it's sort of, it's just become the norm. Like, oh, yeah, there's some issues there and we're just going to put you on the pill because that's what everyone does. And, uh, and so we, we tend to think of this, these problems, which, which aren't normal. They're really common, but they're not normal. But we tend to start thinking about them being normal. Is that fair to say? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, no one bats an eyelid if their 13 or 14-year-old daughter gets prescribed generally. No one bats an eyelid. I'm being very general. But in most instances, they're just like, okay, if that's what I'm being told I have to do, that's what I'm going to do because I've got my daughter's best interest at heart, obviously. But the problem is actually bigger than that because the, the... The GP doesn't know any different. You know, they're the ones that are generally prescribing these things. They don't understand the risks associated with the pill long term. And, you know, let me sort of just say that the the pill disrupts our body function much like antibiotics or other medications, especially long term. So we need to understand that, you know, women on the pill have a host of symptoms that they start to see creeping in and, and accumulate over a period of time. And it's not abnormal now for people to come into my clinic and say, hey, I've been on the pill for 20 years. I don't even know what's going to happen when I come off. Scary. And you know, it's, it's scary. And I was, yeah. I was having um, you know, a, a really good think about what was going on and I kind of came to the conclusion that our mothers, yes, I'm living in the generation now where my mother may have been um, given the pill but would only have been for a period of two or three years maybe. Still enough time to start to disrupt the gut function but not enough time to send her crazy like we're seeing nowadays. But also knowing that the, the gut health of the mother is what's passed on to the child and so I've inherited potentially possibly a weaker gut because my mother had been on the pill for a small amount of time but now when I've then been on the pill for say 20 years and I'm ready to have kids I'm really behind the eight ball because not only have I inherited bad gut health but I've also created my own even more so so Mm. you know it's just all these ramifications we need to think outside of what you know we're currently taking as gospel because nothing is certain, nothing is. And so, you know, I really encourage women that are being prescribed the pill for issues like, you know, let's not forget young girls get prescribed the pill for acne or period pain. Yeah, it's not even for just, uh, you know, for as a contraceptive. It's actually used for other things, you know, quote, unquote. Absolutely. That's, and that's the bigger issue here. You know, I can understand if people are using it for contraceptive methods, although that's obviously why I've created. We want to talk about that, Nat. But also, yeah, totally. But also, you know, coming back to these other things that it's prescribed for, yeah. it actually my heart because it's just a sign of a bigger problem. All right. I know you mentioned sort of gut health and how it affects the gut. Is there, could you name the top three things? Like, because most people don't even realize like that the pill is so bad for you. So can you like name the top three things that why the pill is so bad for a woman? If, if there is a, a gynecological issue, um, more often than not, it'll be far worse when you come off the pill because one of two things generally happen when you come off the pill. Because your body's been used to hormones present, it either escalates your estrogen when you come off because the body's like, hang on a minute, it's not there anymore, I need this estrogen, or your hormones just don't do anything at all. They, they seem to sort of really just become very stagnant and, and don't actually play the game that they're supposed to so that in itself has massive ramifications we see you know obviously girls developing hormonal issues after coming off the pill but also whilst girls are on it you know we see lots of really crazy things happening really bad headaches really bad mood swings all these things can come back to the pill and so you know the the list is actually huge and it's an individual thing it differs from person to person but a lot of women don't actually understand how bad they felt until they come off it either. Mm, that's a good point. Nat, can we go back to the start? And let's just think about the girl who 
has her first period at 11 years old. And then there's a whole range of other girls that have their first period sometimes as late as 16 or 17 years old. And many of these girls are prescribed the contraceptive pill for a number of different reasons. And look, let's list a few of them. Obviously, you mentioned PCOS before. There's endometriosis, which is painful periods, very painful periods. Um, amenorrhea, dysmenorrhea, uh, menorrhagia, um, and metrorrhagia. There's, there's a whole bunch of different causes and reasons or different um, indications why a GP might prescribe the contraceptive pill. And there's, what, eight or nine different pills out of the market at any one point in time, and they tend to cycle around from 28 milligrams to 35 milligrams. Could you maybe describe um, just, I don't know how much detail you want to go into, but is there a difference? Do we have a progesterone insufficiency or an estrogen excess? What, what's causing all this stuff? I actually think that it comes back to, first and foremost, the constitution, like I spoke about before, but also environment. We're a product of our environment. And nowadays, so well, mo most women are estrogen dominant simply because of the environment that we live in. Um, stress is a big thing to drive our, our or you know, upset our hormone balance. The body products that we're using, the water that we're drinking, all of these things influence the way that our hormones work. And so I'm actually finding that that is the biggest issue amplified by something like, you know, um, specific and different pills. But I, what I generally find is it doesn't actually make a difference what type of pill someone's been on. At the end of the day, when they come off, the same problems are still present. But, you know, whether it's you know, whatever's going, Yaz or Yasmin or, you know, there's all different types. And whether Diane. It's, whether it's a combination or an estrogen and whatever, it doesn't really make a difference at the end of the day because it's still upsetting the gut function. It's still upsetting the way that the hormones work. And, and these problems are much bigger when people come off the pill. I'm just so glad that Damien was one who pronounced all those words. Um, so now, <laughs> I know that um, one of the things that obviously you mentioned that people are on the pill for a lot longer these days too as well. You know, if a woman decides to come off the pill, what are some of the common, like how long does it take for the woman's body to kind of regulate back to itself? I mean, I know it's varying, but, you know, can you kind of describe that for, for some for some of our listeners? I, I mean, it's constitutional. It's going to vary from person to person, um, and it depends how they were when before they went on the pill. But I generally say, as a rule, that um, you know anything longer than six months, and you're really looking at, at bigger issues. I, I like a woman to be off the pill for at least six months before she tries to conceive. Um, the pill severely robs our body of essential vitamins and minerals, and it also depletes our mineral and vitamin stores. So. Um, and again, because it's disrupted the way that the gut works, um, the, the gut can't absorb those nutrients whilst on the pill. That's something that we really need to be aware of. So, you know, I generally say, look, give it six months to get things back the way that they should be. Um, and then, you know, you're good to go. There are certain um, symptoms and, and there's been a lot of study around this of things that happen when children are conceived whilst a woman is on the pill or very soon after. And there's a lot of complications with birth. There's a lot of complications with things like breastfeeding, postnatal depression's a lot higher. Um, and, and the babies themselves are generally colicky and very jittery and it's really important to understand that it's all coming because of this nutrient deficiency because the mother was so deficient at the time of birth. So, you know, it's a, it, is a big, it is a big issue that we really need to... It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Really and so 
Now, obviously, we've spoken about you know getting off the pill as being a really important step in that. But what are the other things that people need to do to start looking at their fertility and improving their fertility? Are, are there some really common sort of solutions that you seem to see that, that have really good effects? Totally. Diet and lifestyle, that's why I wrote my first book, Fertilize Yourself, because it was just I was throwing questions every day and I'm like, this is not... This is not hard. This is really sensible stuff. So I wrote that book and, and basically thought to myself, well, let's just put all the diet and lifestyle advice in there. But diet is a big thing. We've been on this low-fat bandwagon for such a long time. It's really upset the way our hormones work, how sex hormones are made of fats and proteins. So we need those quality therapeutic fats um, as well as decent amounts of protein. And that's the one thing that I find most people will skimp on, especially for breakfast and very often lunch. They need to be eating this regularly throughout the day. Then there's you know things like alcohol, which mimics estrogen in our body. So it drives, um, for men, it'll, it'll change the way that the sperm looks. And for women, it'll upset ovulation or can upset ovulation. Um, things like sleep, stress is massive. Stress is the biggest, I say number one, issue around fertility. Um, so all these little things, one of them alone may not, you know, be the, the, the one factor, but put them all together and it actually can be quite a big problem. It's a massive problem, isn't that? And more and more we see people uh, presenting with infertility and uh, it's, it's a huge challenge. The sorts of things, I suppose, that um, many people don't think are going to happen to them um, when they get married, it's kind of not the fairy tale dream, yeah. is it? You know, you kind of you spend your teenage life you know, trying to discover what's actually going on. You get into your into your twenties and you start, you know, trying to make sure that you don't fall pregnant. Uh, and then uh, you get into your late twenties, early thirties, and you think, oh, maybe I should have some babies. You get to the late thirties, and all of a sudden things don't work, and it can be pretty confronting and a little bit confusing because it's not the fairy tale that everyone thought it was. Now, is it risky to suggest that people shouldn't be using the contraceptive pill? I'm glad you asked that. No, because this is the thing that I'm teaching people to understand what their body's telling them, to know when they're fertile, to know when they're not. And this is stuff that we should just know anyway. We should know as much as we can about our own body and what it's communicating to us. And I really, really believe with with my whole being that if we knew this information when we were 13 or 14, it's a game changer for the rest of our lives. And this, you know, I say this in my seminars that once you know this stuff, you can never not know it and it's only about you and it's your own personal information but understanding that and realising that there's only a couple of days in a month that you can actually fall pregnant and that your body clearly tells you when that is, is, mm. you know, for a lot of women is very empowering. I say that we've, we've switched off, we've disconnected. The pill is one of the, and I talk about it a lot because it's one of the main reasons why we have done so. You can't expect a 13-year-old girl that's been on the pill for 20 years to know anything about her fertility or reproductive health. She's We're just a cycle, yeah. And so, you know, this is what I'm having to teach, you know, women right through from from young to old about their bodies because we're just not taught this stuff. We're not... It's not what you rock up to sex ed and learn. <laughs> you know, and, and that, it seems like there's a lot of conflict information about it as well, though. Like there seems to be a lot of, definitely a lot of fear about it. But you know, you sort of, I mean, you're saying sort of there's only two days in the month that you can be fertile, but then you hear sort of people saying, well, then sperm can hang around for five days, and that can potentially still, you know, change things. And so, you know, there's a whole lot of information, I guess, that's out there that, and and as I said, I think a lot of fear there for people of doing something other than being on the pill. Yeah, totally. And I think once you learn the, the signs and symptoms of what your body's telling you, then you can best 
apply that to your life and then work out what's going on. I, I actually say it's usually about three days and quite unlikely that on the third day after ovulation that you would still be able to conceive but you don't know how long sperm lasts and you don't know how long someone's egg really lasts um, we think it's around about 24 hours but you know it differs for everybody and so I think the main thing is that 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 is the reality of it it's not going to be the same for you and your next door neighbor and so you really need to work out what your body is communicating to you and that's all that really matters <laughs> That's a good point. You just cut out there, Nat, because I'm I've got the best connection tonight. But I really do find this whole conversation very, very interesting, and it's one that uh, I I did work a lot with uh, when I was practicing as a naturopath before I did so much with weight loss. But what was interesting, especially with the whole PCOS thing, was that the weight thing or the control of blood sugar was so intrinsically linked to PCOS and diabetes and food and all that sort of stuff. It, I was shocked and horrified often when when girls are put on the pill to fix up their PCOS instead of actually addressing their diet. Now, you mentioned before that diet is very important um, and nutrition is very important. What about herbs? Have you got herbs that can help out? Yeah, we do. And, you know, I use some really basic combinations to start off with and see how that goes. I find that, um, you know, just will we'll be simply because a lot of these things arise from, like I said before, vitamin and mineral deficiencies, sometimes just having the best quality multivitamin, fish oil, you know, multi-mineral, those sorts of things can be the best start. And then working out what your body is communicating, like I said before, you know, if you have, for example, I talk about in these classes I talk about all the variations in cycles because, again, it's going to differ from woman to woman, but helping her to understand what a cycle of someone that has estrogen dominance might look like, what a cycle of someone who has high progesterone might look like. Um, and like I said before, someone that has no nothing really going on and very low hormones, what her cycle might look like. And so then we can specifically advise. But the, one of the main combinations I use aside from the multis and the multiminerals and all those, is um, the combination of magnesium and vitex. I find that that's most women, well, probably 80% of women are estrogen dominant. So that com that combination is really, really good one. But there are other herbs that we would use that would be more specific based on consultation and individual situation. But there are some that are really broad that, that generally do work for a lot of these things. And, you know, we know that, that those sorts of things can be really great for other signs and symptoms that arise from that endometriosis, um, you know, can really benefit with in terms of period pain and these sorts of things by, again, by, you know, magnesium and a few of those others. So, you know, and again, a lot of these, a lot of these are stress related. So, you know, your B vitamins and those sorts of things can be really great as well. It, 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 it's um, very treatable. And now what about diet? I mean, that's obviously playing a big part in this. I mean, you wrote a book called Eat Fat, Be Thin. Um, and it seems to me that in terms of, you know, the reproductive hormones, that fats are just such an important part of that. Um, and it seems like, you know, with our fear of and phobia of fat in our society, that that's something that a lot of people are missing out on. Absolutely. And this is the thing I say to people, you know, if low-fat foods worked, we'd all be skinny. <laughs> and, you know, how many people you see that are overweight that have been on a low-fat diet for a really long time? It doesn't work like that. But also, I want to talk just quickly on, you know, if there is these hormone imbalances, these people are very often overweight because their hormones aren't, hormones aren't working properly and their brain's not sending the right signals. Again, it's so deficient. So, again, tailoring something that's specific, I see that, you know, a lot. I see very overweight people. Obviously, their hormones are all out of whack and, you know, 
they've tried everything. These are the people that I've tried every diet under the sun, nothing works. It's because they're not actually understanding that their hormones drive everything. So we need to come back and almost reset the signal, the, the, you know, the drivers, the, the hypothalamus or the pituitary, whatever it might be, reset it so that it starts to work properly. Sorry, Nat, we're all on mute then. <laughs> that was funny. I've got noise in the background. I'm trying to cover that up. Nat, I, I just wanted to, uh, to say that I have seen this too, that there's girls who are very overweight that find it very, very easy to fall pregnant. In fact, their partner might look at them and all of a sudden they're pregnant again. Whereas there's girls that are very skinny who would appear to have, you know, maybe done a fair bit of work um, on their body and their health and still can't fall pregnant. Have you got a take on that? Yes, it's called perfectionists. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I know a few of those. I know a few of those. Perfectionists have a lot of trouble falling pregnant. It's that stress response and that, you know, that release of constant release of cortisol and, um, and adrenaline into the body that upset the balance of hormones. But mm. I find that a lot. I find that people that like to control the person that's over here that's overweight that only has to sniff her partner probably isn't stressed about it at all. She's just like, mm. what doesn't really matter. I, I have a lot of people say to me, you know, it's not fair. How come the next-door neighbours that drink and smoke and do all the wrong things, they fall pregnant? I'm like, they're not worried about it. They're not thinking about it. Yeah. It's you know. So it is, uh, that's my take on that. And it's actually one of the first questions I'll ask someone that comes into the clinic. I'll ask them straight up, are you a perfectionist? Mm. And I'll Stupid, but then I can, I know what I'm dealing with, and I know what I need to break down. Lawrence um, has got Lawrence has got two kids, and look at him, like, he's yep. he's perfect. <laughs> like, and Karen, perfect. she's perfect. Karen, both Karen and Lawrence are perfect. The kids are perfect. How does it just? It's amazing. Yeah, but I'm all about mindset, so I'm de-stressed. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. And he's in, he's in Bali like ten times a year, though, mate. Of course, yeah, it's that's fair call. Yeah, fair call. Good call. Uh, well, now let's talk about stress. Though. I mean, you, you talked about how stress affects the um, obviously the hormone imbalance and stuff. Like, how does it affect the pregnancy? Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. I learned that the hard way with my daughter. I mm. went into labor at 30 weeks because I thought I was invincible. I think the thing we got to realize is that, you know, it actually, it's not any any different. You know, when a woman's got her period, she really needs to, t to chill out. No different to when a woman's pregnant. She needs to chill out. And we live at a time where, you know, a lot of us have to work through our pregnancy. Our bodies aren't really designed to. I think even rewind a second and Damo was asking me just about, um, you know, perfect, well, we were talking about perfectionists, but I find that, you know, as women we can do a lot of things but we're not necessarily supposed to. <laughs> you know, we're living at a time now where we are working and we're mothers and we run a house and we run the, I don't know, the the canteen and there's a lot of stress and pressure that was there like never before. We really need to be mindful of how that's affecting our health. But babies, we know that mothers that are particularly stressed, it absolutely does affect the pregnancy and often these babies are very um, highly strung and unwell and and those, you know, that are that are hard to manage. So it is, it's important. So when you talk about these perfectionists, what do you say to them? What's your advice to them? Like if you know, if you found out that they are, you know, say I'm a perfectionist and you know they can't fall pregnant, what's the advice do you give them? A lot of it's we've got to change the mindset because there's a lot of thought around um, either not deserving to have a child or that they're never going to fall pregnant or they never, you know, it's very negative. So we need to come back to getting them to focus on what they want rather than what they don't want. And it, you know, it's 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 
that's very much to do with the rewiring of the brain, but our emotions play a massive role in our overall health. So if we can get that right um, and start to then get them to understand how important that is and how their thoughts are creating that, um, that's a very big step in the right direction. Obviously, we use acupuncture. I do use acupuncture to help to um, help her to chill out. <laughs> And then, you know, shifting the focus. Very often it's not necessarily about the woman. It's a it's a 50-50 thing. An embryo is half of her and half of him. So, you know, getting them to move away from what we would say baby-making sex to having just sex because they're a couple and they want to. Hmm. That's a deal too. You know, it only takes one event to make a baby, but it, it takes regular sex um, for the reproductive organs to be exercised for there to be, to be um, adequate blood flow to the uterus and, and the male reproductive organs and for them to be in a healthy relationship as a couple because trying to make a baby stressful. Nice. And Nat, I know we've spoken a lot in this episode about obviously conception and fertility, but obviously these same issues we're speaking about are going to affect all women, you know, regardless of whether you're wanting to conceive or not. It's going to affect your hormones. It's going to affect your health. So perhaps it's worthwhile just talking a little bit about you know, how this is going to affect women other than, I guess, their fertility as well if, if they've got these issues going on and if they've got these lifestyles going on. Totally. I had to change my way of speaking a little while back because I use fertility very broadly. I use fertility as a word that, you know, someone's 13 right through to when they're 60. Um, and it's not about babies. It's about having a healthy reproductive system. We need to come back to that. But you're totally right. Coming back again to fertilize yourself, I wrote that to help people trying to conceive be the healthiest version of themselves. And I very quickly realized that they weren't the people that needed help. It was these young women and even older women helping them to understand their body. And so in doing that, I also said say to everybody, the, the formula doesn't change. What you need to make babies is the same things essentially as what you need to be reproductively healthy, which is from when you're like again from when you're 13 right through to right through to beyond so it's the same nuts and bolts stress will affect the body in the same way whether you're trying to conceive or not it's still going to affect the body in the same way so you know the diet all of those things are exactly the same they don't change just because you're trying to have a baby your body needs the same nuts and bolts regardless nice you made a comment before and that would and very, very interesting. There's actually, you made two comments. One was that it's 50-50. So the sperm makes up half of the embryo and the egg makes up the other half of the embryo. But it seems that it's women who have most of the problem. Like if you go down the IVF route for fertility, um, the conversation is primarily, well, we can pluck out a few of your good sperm and we'll make all of this stuff happen within the woman. It's got to be the woman's fault. The quality of the eggs they talk about, the age of the eggs they talk about, the condition of the uterus, they look at the fallopian tubes, they look at all this stuff. And so it's been made very, very simple for guys to say, oh, well, all I've got to do is just rock up to do my job. And, uh, and, and that's about it. You know, so women obviously feel very victim or vindicated and victimized, uh, to, you know, thinking that they're the cause of infertility. What are the things that guys could be doing to improve their fertility? You know what? When I have someone come up to my into my clinic and it's around IVF, I will actually actually and even for miscarriage, I'll be looking at the male, not the female, straight up, um, because like I said, it, I actually blame about sixty percent on the male and forty percent on the female. To be honest, it, it, it's really important to understand it is part of both of these people. So even for something like miscarriage, for example. I will look at the male health up until someone that might be recurrently miscarrying up until the nine-week mark because up until that point in time when the placenta forms, 
it's the embryo that's doing the work, not not the female necessarily. Yes, she's got to, you know, provide the right environment, but it's still the embryo that does a lot of the work. So we really need to be looking at the male more than ever. And very, very often males will be told that there's nothing that they can do to improve their sperm, which is ridiculous because we know that we improve the health of the male and we we improve the quality of the sperm. So, you know, men need to be doing exactly the same things, the right amount of fats and protein, the right amount of sleep, watching the toxins like alcohol and those sorts of things. It's exactly the same. There are specific things that will help with the quality of um, semen and to repair that. Stress is another big thing. Um, but also the specifics, you know, again, your multivitamins, your fish oils, things like CoQ10 helps to improve sperm quality. And then we know, you know, big amounts of antioxidants, um, specifics like vitamin E and zinc, these things help to improve the as well but it, it's absolute rubbish that you can't improve sperm quality i'll say to a patient you absolutely have to especially for ivf it's a number that you need to go in there and even if you're improving these sperm by five to ten percent that's that's a lot mm, it's very significant make a really big difference that can be the, the difference between it being successful and not being successful the other thing we need to realize is that sperm is constantly changing and it, it um, is reflective of you know kind of what happened roughly three months ago will present as what what it looks like now so you know to bear that in mind too that you can't just stay off alcohol for a week before the IVF um, transfer and <laughs> it needs, a bit, it needs about three months work now it's um you know this is just amazing information i'm sure our listeners are going to get a lot out of this uh, where can people find more information about what you're doing i know you got an australian tour coming up um could you tell us a little bit more about that and like where to where to get tickets and where where to find more information about you absolutely it's all on my site which is natcringudis.com.au everything's on there there's an event section you can jump on there and you'll find information about the tour which is almost sold out hopefully um we, we might release some more tickets. So, um, But also the debunking ovulation, which is the um, the event that I'm taking around, is also going to be a download. So that will be available again off that site. And um, that has all, that, that's a library of information, that site. I blog three times to four times a week. So there's always information on there as well. Yeah, there's definitely tons of information. So that is uh, spelled out N-A-T-K-R-I-N-G oudis.com.au I'm glad I don't have to pronounce it again sorry Nat <laughs> thanks for joining us again um, Nat really appreciate uh, your time and your knowledge uh, guys go to thewellnesscouch.com uh, leave your comments below this particular episode because uh, I'm sure you guys will have a lot of comments uh, but more importantly go to our Facebook page because uh, let's talk about this you know tell us what you think about what Nat has said and maybe your challenges in terms of uh, fertility and infertility as well uh, number one thing I want you to do is go to um, our Facebook Facebook, while you're there, like it, share this, this podcast with your friends and families and other strangers that you think might need a wellness update and subscribe to us on iTunes because you know that uh, Demo loves our five-star ratings and comments on iTunes. So until next, next week, begin creating wellness into our lives, lead by example, and let's change the world's health together. Join us next week on The Wellness Guy Show. Hi, Brett Hill from That Paleo Show and The Wellness Guys here. Well, the Facebook buzz after The Wellness Summit has just been unbelievable. Deborah said the summit was inspiring and empowering. Jen Fellows said she learnt so much amazing information that she thought her brain was going to explode. Well, hold on to your hat, because if you miss the summit, guess what? We recorded the entire lot so that you can have the summit in your living room forever. So to order the Wellness Summit 10 DVD home study program for just 197 bucks, simply go to www.thewellnesscouch.com and click on shop. 
This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter, The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.